I know, um, I know some people who are alienated from family members. Uh, that's not a good thing. I mean, it's just not. It's 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 just not. Um, some people are just fine living that way. Some people are just fine living alienated from from family. They're actually proud of being alienated from others. Uh, sometimes they even wear it like a badge of honor that they're alienated from particular people. Um, I was alienated from my father because he left. It was his choice. I was a kid. I was young. I was five years old, and you know, I, I didn't have a, any choice in the matter. And and he left. I was alienated from him because he didn't. He never contacted us. I didn't have any contact with him again. Didn't even know where he was until I was in high school. Uh, so I, you know, I, I didn't really have that relationship. I never got to know my father. Uh, even as an adult, he and I did not work at um, at having a relationship. And for a while, I wore that as a badge of honor. Um, you know, after I became an adult, I am I am just as much to blame as he was for not reaching out to establish a relationship. Uh, you know, as an adult, and uh, you know that that just wasn't what it should be. We should not be fine with being alienated from others. You know, we should not be fine with that. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be, you know, best buddies and in constant communication with everyone, but uh, we should not find ourselves alienated from others. Where there's alienation, there is work involved to restore a relationship. Uh, That's important. That's an important thing to do, to do the work to reestablish a relationship Uh, Here's how important it is. Jesus said, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come to offer your gift. That's how important, that's how important restoring relationships are to God. He said, if you are in the midst of making an offering to me, he says, if you are in the midst of your worship and there, as you're preparing to do that, there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave that offering. Leave that there. Go and get that relationship restored. That's how important he says it is. And if it's that important to God, it should be that important to us. Now, we can say, you know, it's not our fault. It's not my fault. It's, you know, it's this other person. Uh, so we do nothing. Uh, but in Romans, we read, if possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. That means you take those steps. You do what you can to restore that relationship. You don't say that, well, you know what, they, 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 they just don't, they don't want to talk to me. Or and then that could be true. They may not want to talk to you. But here it says, on your part, as much as it is with you, you take those steps that you need to take. You go as far as you possibly can with restoring that relationship. You work at that. He says, this is important. You leave your gift at the altar. You go and you do all that you can to get this thing restored, to get this relationship restored. Now, when I say all that you can, obviously... What you're doing there is living in line with God still. You're not violating anything God says in order to have this relationship restored. You're staying within that. You know, and then if you claim to have a relationship with God, you know, if that's what you claim, then you work at being reconciled because that's what God called you to do. That's why you work at being reconciled. You work at being reconciled because that's what God called you to do. 
God calls you to be reconciled. And if reconciliation with others is important to God, it should be important to us as well. Let's pray, and we're going to go on as, uh, in our study of Colossians here. Father, thank you for what you have done to reconcile us. That you, have given, you, you gave your only son. Jesus, you went to that cross to reconcile us. Help us not to forget that. Help us to not ignore that in the reality of our relationship with others. That we would work to be the people you've called us to be. Not because it's fun and not because it's easy. Because sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's a lot of other things we'd rather do. But help us to walk in obedience to you. Help us to be your people in everything. Including this area of being reconciled. Open our minds again to you as we look in your word. Teach us. Touch us. As only you can do, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. As we continue our journey through the book of Colossians, we are at chapter 1, verse 21, is where we're going to be picking up. Uh, Next week, we're going to take a break from Colossians. We're going to focus on baptism. It's a baptism service. Right now, I believe we have seven seven, uh, who want to be baptized. And um, so, just so you're aware of it, too, next week we are not going to have children's church because the seven who are being baptized are all younger. And uh, some of them are, you know, kids in children's church and... Uh, we want we want all of you know, we want the kids to be able to see that we think it's a great opportunity for them. So there will not be uh, children's church next week. And then actually, um, I'm planning on being off for a bit. And Pastor Kent uh, will be preaching first of all on the uh, hypostatic, you know, the, the, the hypostatic union for modern society is what he's doing the one week. And then he's going to get into uh, Zwingli's impact on the modern Moravian faith community. Uh, he's, he's focusing on that the next week. And then he is going to finish with uh, why Christians should not eat devil's food cake. Uh, holy baking for the whole family. So those are things you have to look forward to uh, as Pastor Kent leads us. But today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, um, we will... Pick up with verse 21. We've worked our way down to verse 21 here. Um, And again, awful lot in here, so let's get rolling. Verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, uh, notice what he says here. He says, once you were alienated. Now, what a frightful, what a frightful relationship to have, alienated from God. What a, what, what a horrible place to be in. Now, some of those who are alienated from God don't realize the, 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 the magnitude of what that means. You know, but it's not the place you want to be in. Being alienated from others is not how God wants us to live. You know, but the focus here in Colossians is especially on not being alienated from God. You do not want to be alienated from Him. Reconciliation with God is the most important reconciliation you need to have. 
That is the most important reconciliation you need to have. Is that relationship with God. That, that needs to be there. If that, re, if, if that relationship, if your relationship with God is not there, then you are in trouble. If that relationship with God is not there, then the other relationships really don't matter. You know, it really doesn't matter. We don't realize it. You know, it, it, they will make life easier. You know, having some of these other relationships restored, that'll make life easier. But without a relationship with God, eternity will be hell. Literally. Literally. It, 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 that the place, that is where eternity is for those without a relationship with God. And that is not where, you know, that, that's not where you want to be. Now, in... I had conversations with two different people this week, and they were both telling me about someone who was mad at God. Now, one of my first thoughts, and fortunately I don't blurt this out, but in a conversation it certainly might come up. Um, one of my first thoughts is always, well, who do you think you are? You are mad at God? I mean, this is, this, this is uh, it's quite, you know, it's quite presumptuous on, on our part to be mad with God. But what it is, is that sometimes people choose to be alienated from God because God didn't act as they thought he should. Because God didn't do what they thought he should. Now, let me rephrase that for you. God didn't meet their standard. He didn't meet their expectation in some way. And because God didn't meet their standard, because God did not meet their expectation, then uh, they decide that they're going to have this strange relationship with God, that they're mad at God, they're not going to talk to him or whatever it is. I want God to be God in my life and of my life. I want him to be God. I want his wisdom and his will to prevail, not my opinions and feelings. You know, God does not answer to me. You know, he does not answer to me. And I have proven over and over again in my life why that's best. You know, I have made more foolish, short-sighted, selfish choices in my life than there are maggots in a garbage can full of rotten potatoes. You know, I mean, it's just... it's. To, to think, you know, once you are alienated from God, why would you choose to live that way? Once you are alienated from God, he says, and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. Hostile in your minds, your minds, your convictions. Our convictions are what God is interested in. It's easy to get our actions in line, at least for a while. You know, it might be a long while. It might be a short while. It's easy to get actions in line. You know, but actions, you know, actions that do not represent the convictions are, are false. It's, 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 it's living out a false narrative, if you will. You know, what's in our mind can stay hidden for a while. You know, and, and, then, and then, you know, it comes out. But our actions, particularly those impulse actions, those that we do without thinking, you know, those, those that, you know, often come in the heat of the moment when we're tired, when we're worn down, those reveal our heart, those reveal our convictions, those reveal what's going on on the inside. Those things when, when that other person really ticks me off. You know, and then that's, that's then where our convictions are seen more. And he says, you know, those hostile, they're there in your mind because of your evil actions. The evil actions reveal the convictions of an evil heart. 
Evil actions simply reveal the convictions of an evil heart. And God is interested in our convictions. Those convictions matter to him. Jesus addressed the importance of, of what we allow to reside in our hearts, what we, what we allow to reside in our minds. Matthew chapter 5, he says, You've heard that it was said that uh, to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, anger doesn't always have to come out. You know, we can be angry. We, we can be really angry inside and, you know, and, and just butter it over, you know, with, with, uh, you know, with whatever it is that, to hide that. You know, that, that anger that's inside, he says, I'm telling you, you know, that what's on the inside, he says, there's the problem. That's, that's what's subject to judgment. What it is that goes on on the inside. He goes on, he says... You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoever has that intention, whoever has that conviction, whoever has that conviction in his heart that looks at another woman lustfully, you know, that, that he has that problem. You know, there is a problem there because those convictions of what's going on in his heart. James chapter 4, he says, what's the source of the wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? Don't they come from those convictions that you have? Don't they come from those, those struggles that you have to want to have everything your own way? Hostility begins in your mind. You know, and hostility even toward God begins in your mind. You know, we need to look at what we fill our minds with. You know, who or what we align ourselves with. Who is it? What is it that we allow in that, that we have, you know, for those directions, for those guidance? James says, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. You really need to grasp a hold of that. Whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Now, when he's talking about world here, what he's talking about world, what he's talking about are those values and those systems that reject God. That's what they're talking about. You know, those things that reject God. Now, the world itself in creation testifies to God. What he's talking about when he says world here in Scripture, you see this often, particularly in the New Testament. Uh, John uses it this way almost exclusively uh, in his gospel. When he's talking about the world, he's talking about those values, those systems that, are, that reject God. Uh, you know, and, and this is this is you know what 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 he's what he's referring to. Now sometimes sometimes they do it overtly and with intention. You know, sometimes it's, it, there's no question in their mind they, that they know what they're doing and they know what they're doing in rejecting God, uh, you know, but they, they choose to do it. But sometimes it's subtle. You know, sometimes it, it, it's, you know, just through subtlety or through neglect or through preoccupation with lesser things. Whoever wants to be the world's friend, whoever becomes so preoccupied with that, whoever becomes so preoccupied with the things of the world those things, values and systems that reject God, whoever becomes so preoccupied. And we have a lot of that now. We have a lot of choice. We have a lot. It's out there. It's always been out there. You know, when we say it's a lot of it now, what that really means sometimes is we just become more aware of it. You know, he says we get preoccupied with those lesser things. Aligning yourself with the world means you're hostile to God. Why do I say that? Well, because it says right there that you're choosing to be God's enemy. Hostile to God. Whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. 
You know, living by the world's standards, living by the world's standards and values means that you're choosing hostility to God. You are choosing to be God's enemy. If, if you are choosing to live by the world's standards, those things that reject God, those things that don't have... We have laws that reject God. We have laws in our society that go directly against what God says is that we should not do. And we have laws that make it, you know, um, permissible to do. And if we embrace what the world has to say, um, we can find ourselves as an enemy of God. I read an article this week, and I, I sent it to Pastor Kent, and it's just, we're just floored a little bit by it. Um, in Indiana now, there, a lawsuit has been filed um, by a group claiming it's their religious right to have abortion, to have an abortion. Their religious right to have an abortion. And this is not a satanic group. We're not, talking about a, we're not talking about a satanic group. We're talking about a group that claims to worship God, a group that claims to follow God. And they have entered a lawsuit uh, against the state of Indiana now because they said it is their religious right. It is in keeping with their religion to have an abortion. When we live by the world's standards and values, we find ourselves as an enemy of God. You know, we need to do more than simply bring our actions in line um, with God. We need to bring our minds in God, in line with God. Paul, God led Paul to write this to the Romans. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age. That's a picture of, of, of a pressure pushing something into, into a form and into, I should have thought of this sooner, you know, our, our grand, Ginny and I own, these, own, own Play-Doh and, um, and we own Play-Doh toys because our grandchildren use them. And one of the things, they, they have a couple of things they use um, and one, you load the Play-Doh in it. I'm pretending like it's here. You know, you load the Play-Doh in it and you, and, you, and you squash it through and it comes out in whatever shape it is that you put in there. And another one is, is, is like a, these rollers and you run it through and it, it becomes the shape and takes on the shape of whatever it is on that roll. There's the picture for you. Don't let, don't, don't, don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into, don't let pressure, don't let anybody pressure you in, into, into being, into, into being conformed to the things of this age. Don't be conformed to that, but rather it says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the you got to quit that. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know th- th- this is what he calls us to. This is this is how he calls it. It, it. What's in your mind? He says once you were alienated, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. Your actions were simply showing what's going on in your heart. Verse twenty-two. He says, but now. Those are great words in Scripture. 
we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5 in Sunday school this morning, and those same words came up, but now. You see, here's what you were, but now. What a great, what a great reminder. What a great reminder of what is ours. You know, he says, but now, there's a difference. But now, something's different. You were alienated to God. You were an enemy of God, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Once you were alienated, but a change has taken place. But now you were alienated, but a change has taken place. You were God's enemy, but a change has taken place. You were going against God, but now, he says. Now remember, he's addressing people here who have a knowledge of God. You know, that's who he's writing to. He's, he's writing to people who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's not writing, he's not writing you know, an evangelistic letter. I mean, it, it is, but the purpose was to write to those people who, who have a relationship with God, to, to write to those you know, to, who, are, who say they are reconciled to God. You know, he says, and he's, he's writing to him. he says, you know, you are the ones who are reconciled to God. And as we saw earlier, you know, he says here that we need to live reconciled to God. That actual living, the actual living is what's important. The actual living reconciled lives is very important. You know, living those, living that, that reconciled life, living that there, there was a change, living like we were enemies, but now things are different, he says. But now we're living differently. This word reconcile here, it's the same word we looked at last week that shows up in verse 20. And the word means to reconcile completely, to reconcile back again, to bring back to a former state of harmony. To bring back to a form, to bring ourselves back into that former state of harmony with God. And as we were looking at it last week, we said, you know, to find that harmony, you have to go all the way back to the garden. You have to go all the way back to before sin was there. Before sin came in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. You have to go back to before that, where, they, where you know, we have that picture of, of Adam and Eve walking together with God in the garden. That, that open relationship, that, 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 that they were living together in harmony. You know, and that all changed then when sin came in. And here he says, Jesus' death on the cross has brought us back into harmony with God. His death on the cross. He, that, you know, he died for our sin. Yeah, he, he died to reconcile it. He took our sin upon himself. You were living as enemies of God, but now God has reconciled you. Christ has done this through his own body on the cross for us, he says. Now he has reconciled you through his physical, you know, through his, by his physical body through his death. He has reconciled you by, through his physical body by his death, he says, to present you. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Now, I don't want you to miss, uh, there's another word here I don't want you to miss, but now. That word, now. This is, this is a new relationship with God, not just for the future. This is not just for the future. This is for now. This is for today. This is for each and every day we have. But now, this, yes, it gives us a hope and a future, but it also gives us a new life right now. Right now that we don't have to live as enemies of God. You know, it, w- when you come to Christ Jesus as your Savior, you are right now reconciled to God. 
It's not that you're reconciled to God at some time in the future. It's not that you're reconciled to God when you leave this world. You know, yes, there is that hope and yes, there is that future. But what he's talking about is that you are right now reconciled to God. But now he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you now, he says. We're given new life. A, a truly new life. You know, look at the description. Look at the description of our of our new life here. Our reconciled life. He says that you are holy. Holy. You know, it means separated from sin and dedicated to God. That's what the word means. That you are separated from sin, dedicated to God. This is the same word that is used in some places and is translated. You know, as the there's the word saint. You know, a saint. That person dedicated to God. Not not just uh, you know someone who's extra holy. Uh, you know, when we think of saint, but he's talking about someone who is who is dedicated to God. Someone who has that relationship with Him. Uh, not something we achieve by our own behavior. Not you know by our own good works. It is made. We are made holy by God Himself he says here you know he did this through his death on the cross to present you holy you are presented holy when you come to god through christ he goes on he says in in uh, in uh, the the home and christian standard says faultless some of the translations say blameless some say without blemish the word means unblameable morally without blemish now it's not just cleaned up it's more than just cleaned up. What he's saying here is that it's free from faultiness, that it's, you know, as without spot or blemish, as, as if it was not ever there. You know, not simply cleaned up, but in relation to ourselves, completely made new. That newness, you know, that, that newness of life, the newness, he says, is faultless, blameless, without blemish. That's, that's what Scripture talks about, and Jesus talks about, you know, that you are born again, born new, a new person, a new life, not just remade. But given new life, not just, uh, not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, refurbishing things, but new, a new life. Why? Because the old life is so messed up, because the old is so tainted by sin that we need nothing short of complete newness. And he says that that is what he has given us. You know, he has given us that, that, that new life without fault, without blemish, you know, blameless. So blameless is the next, in, in the Holman Christian standard, it says then blameless. Some translations say above or above reproach or beyond reproach, free from accusation. This is the same word that is used to describe the, the character qualities of elders and deacons. As you look, as he writes to uh, Titus and he writes to Timothy, it's that same description there. It's, it, it means, you know, that which cannot be called into account. It means that no one can make an accusation against you that has any legitimacy at all. God has removed any legitimate accusation against you. He has removed any grounds for a legitimate accusation against you through Christ's death on the cross for us. That is how forgiven we are. That is how reconciled we are. That is how made new we are. That that is all new. All that comes, it says, when we are reconciled you know, to God by Jesus Christ's death for us. This is what it says here. No worthiness of our own. This all comes as a result of what Christ Jesus has done for us. It all comes as a result of what he has done, not what we do. We are right now, he says, we are right now holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Because he reconciled you by his physical body through his death. 
Not because of, I don't feel holy, I don't feel flawless. You are because of what he has done for us, reconciled us through his physical body, through his death, it says. And then there's a warning in verse 23. It says, if you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, this is one of those verses that people use sometimes to beat the drum on whatever their position is on eternal security, you know, and they use this to beat the drum to prove their point. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, eternal security, um, eternal security deals, you know, with the question of whether of whether someone can lose their salvation. Some people would say, it, it, you know, it, it deals with the question of, you know, whether someone can be unsaved or not. Uh, those questions make for some interesting theological debates, and uh, you know, but they really lose the important reality of what we need to be focusing on. Let me just touch on two aspects where I think our focus should really be. Uh, the first one is this. You should be personally growing in your relationship with Christ Jesus. You should be personally growing. And if you're personally growing, then you should know that you do have salvation in Christ. You know, that, that should not be a question for you. I've been asked before by, you know, folks have asked me, you know, I think I've lost my salvation. Well, why? You know, that should never be a question for us. We should have a relationship with God in which we are growing that there's never, you know, that, that, that there's never. You should be so alive in your relationship with him that you know you have salvation. You know, you, you, you don't get grounded and steadfast in the faith automatically. It takes work. It takes effort. You're working. You're putting in. You're putting in the effort, you know, to do that. You're putting in the effort into that relationship. Now, again, it's not the effort. It's the reality of that relationship. As you put forth that effort, the reality of the relationship becomes more and more obvious to you. And you know that you, that you have salvation and you are his. The second aspect is this. If you see someone with a life that is marked by sin, if you see someone with a life dominated by sin, let me tell you this. It really doesn't matter if they had salvation and lost their salvation or if they were never really saved in the first place. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when you see someone whose life is dominated by sin, whose life is marked by sin, they need to be reconciled to God. That's, that's the important thing, you know, that's the important thing here. That when you see someone, you know, who has, who has that, that, that relationship, they need to be reconciled to God. Because what is clear in Scripture is that people whose life is dominated by that need to be reconciled to God. Sinners need to be reconciled by God. It really doesn't matter how they got there. They need to be reconciled. They need to have their life straightened out with God. They need to get that relationship with God straightened out. And you know what? That, then these things will be taken care of. He goes on, he says, this gospel, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. You see, sinners need to be reconciled to God. This verse makes that, these verses here make that very clear. Paul wrote to Timothy, 
He says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. Now, you see what he says there? He says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. And here in Colossians, he says, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Paul, the worst of sinners. You know, Paul became a servant of the gospel he once opposed. He became a servant of the gospel he once opposed. He was once alienated, and now he was reconciled and following Christ. He was once alienated from God and worked at that and was working against God. And, and, and Jesus said, Paul, you know, Paul, 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 Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And you see, he was what, one who was an obvious person opposed to God. And now he was reconciled and following Jesus. You know, the worst. And now he says, I have become a servant. I have become a servant of it. You see, the gospel is the same as it has always been. Jesus Christ came to reconcile sinners to God. He came to reconcile sinners to God. Look what he says, verse 21 22. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Reconciled, holy, faultless, blameless by the death of Jesus' physical body on the cross for our sin. Reconciled to him. Now follow him. Follow him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for new life. We needed it. We still need it. There are times in which we do stupid things, in which we find ourselves opposed to you. That's not where we want to be. Guide us to have a life that follows you in such a clear way that there is no doubt in our minds or the minds of others around that you are our Savior, that we have been reconciled to you. Keep us. Keep us close to your heart and help us to grow deeper in the reality that you went to the cross and your physical death has reconciled us to you. Help us to live reconciled lives, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.